Okay, we're going through a series called Christmas Unwrapped. We're getting to the bottom of some of the traditions that we do. Uh, I'm going to give you a brief talk now on gifts and uh, giving. We give at Christmas, don't we? Who wants this Christmas to be perfect? We want this, Christ we want this Christmas to be perfect, don't we? How much are you willing to pay to get the perfect Christmas? Um, believe it or not, even though we live in COVID times and we've had this global pandemic for two years, we're going to spend even more on gifts this Christmas, up 200 quid per person to over a grand each, apparently, so you can put yourself on the scale somewhere. We like to give, don't we, at Christmas. Me and my wife, Jude, have a conversation in November every year. We look each other in the eye and we say to ourselves, we're not going to get this year. We're not going to get carried away. We don't, we've got nothing to prove. We don't need to do this. We're not going to be absorbed in all this Christmas. We don't need to do this. We've, you know, we, we say it every year, we say it every year. Then I think it's, it's not so much the Christmas adverts with me. I do enjoy a Christmas advert, but they don't break me. It's the Christmas songs, just that endless re repetition of the Christmas carols. That, that starts to soften me up. And then I'll walk past somebody in the high street who's got his arms full of, of bags and, and presents. And I think, oh, they're going to have a good Christmas. And all of a sudden, before I realize it, I'm looking at my own kids like they're, even though they're very blessed, they're like Dickensian orphans looking up at me like, oh, what, what can we get? And, and I, I enter into the Christmas trance. I enter into the, the rat race and I find myself absorbed in it and I can't think about food enough and what food I'm going to fill up my fridge with. And I'm looking on Amazon and the internet all the time about what we need to get because I get caught up in the Christmas trance. I get stuck in the Christmas trance and I wonder if you join me in the moment of sobering up on Christmas Day at about one o'clock when I look down at my uh, living room floor and it's just covered in wrapping paper and plastic tat and, and, and things like this. And I see my kids who were a couple of weeks ago like Dickensian orphans and now just sugar-fueled monsters, you know, almost ungrateful for what they've got. And... And I want to give then the moral lecture. I'm like, oh, I, I, I run for my Bible as a pastor and I go, I want to tell you that this is not what Christmas is all about. It's not about giving. And then I get to my Bible and I find the huge story at the center of the Bible, which explains to us all of human history, everything is about giving and gifts. I don't think that the Bible says to us, you idiots, forgiving. I think it says to us, of course you give. It's at the heart of who you are. It's part of your identity. Of course you want to give and receive. It's just that. I think this is what the Bible says. And I think this is what hopefully the Magi are going to teach us. We're going to look at the Magi in a minute. There's so much more to giving than your experience of it. I'm not going to knock you, the Bible says, but it's so, even though it's kind of beautiful to look at and you go all in, it's so shallow compared to the giving and receiving that you are created to do. There's so much more meaning. There's so much more beauty. There's so much more love. There's so much more transcendence out there. So a few things really quickly that the Magi teaches. The first thing that the Magi teaches is that anyone can get the best gift. Anyone 
can get the best gift. If you're a, if you're a youngun, if you're a primary school kid, I've got four points, and if you can tell me them all afterwards, I'll give you a hundred pounds. <laughs> I might give you a sweet or something like that. Okay, so I've got four points. First one is anyone can get the best gift. Giving, I think we see best and worst at Christmas. I think we see some amazing stuff at Christmas. When we see people give, it's a beautiful thing. I enjoy seeing the Christmas rush. I enjoy seeing people go around looking for gifts. It's an incredible thing. But so long as we are fueled by um, materialism, consumerism, as long as our economy runs the way that it does, there will always be the, we'll, we can give as much as we like, but there, was, there will always be people without. Always. Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. He wasn't being nasty or disrespectful. He was just stating facts. Whilst ever the world is like it is, you're always going to have the poor. There's always going to be this disparity. This story teaches us differently. And it's a really, cl- so the, the author writes it. I don't know if you've got, I don't think we've got the text today, but if, let me just describe it to you. The author writes it really cleverly. So Matthew and Luke in particularly when they teach us stuff, they use contrast to teach it. So they'll contrast characters out. And we're supposed to look at them and work out in the contrast what they're trying to say. So there's two characters in this little passage that we're going to look at, or that we've been thinking about in the Magi story. So there is the wise men. And we didn't, I noticed on our nativity, we didn't even have one wise, wise man for the wise man. But like traditionally, we think that there might be three wise men. We're often talk about the three wise men, and they look kind of silly and pantomime don't they? If we look at it historically, probably some of the ways that we imagine them are, are quite a long way off. It says in our text that they, that they made a real scene when they got into Jerusalem. They caused a real stir. I don't think three wise men on their own are going to cause a, a real stir. There were loads and loads of these stately figures on magnificent horses. It was quite the scene. It was an incredible scene. But who were these people? They were the Persians. We think of them as quite dainty, wise men. Persians, in Bible times, they were the baddies. They were as good as the baddies. If you read through your Old Testament, they were always the baddies. The Persians, they were coming to invaders. They were coming to bring in their false gods and take us back and do what they want with us and kill us and everything else. They were the baddies. The wise men were the baddies. And the counsel they had, the wisdom they had, what did they follow, the wise men? Anyone tell me, youngins, what did they follow? They followed a star. It's like they looked in the back of the mirror, paper, is that still a thing? And they followed the star. That was their wisdom. To sensitive Jewish eyes, it's a bit like an Amish village getting a visit from a Las Vegas dance troupe and trying to sell them some tattoos or something like that. It's that invasive. It's that different. Who's the other group? It's Herod. Herod, we didn't have a Herod either, I don't think. Herod is written to be, and rightly so, he's another baddie. He was really bad. But who was Herod? He was the king of Jerusalem. A couple of generations back, These are the guys, the king, king of Israel. These are the guys whom God has placed there and who presented God and kept God's word. This is David and Josiah and these people like this. And what was their wisdom? If you go in it and read the text, um, Herod consults the Pharisees. He consults the religious experts. And they tell him, 
This is how smart they are. They're not just following stars. They know exactly where this Savior is going to be born. They say he's going to come from Bethlehem. If you listen back to the text, he's going to, they could grid reference it. They knew their Old Testament and their history that well. You've got these two different characters, the religious experts, the king of Israel, everyone you're going to expect to find God. And you've got the baddie, weird-looking, wise men. And yet, who finds him? In this moment in human history where God speaks directly to us, and I would say he speaks to us most directly with the writer of Hebrews through his son, who finds him? Is it the people that we expect to find him? People that know exactly where he's going to be? They're not there. It's the outsiders, the wise men that find him. Here's the first thing that we learn about Christmas. And it's so helpful for us to hear as I think mostly church-going people or people from a Christian nation or what perhaps was a Christian nation. Anyone can get the best gift. Anyone can find this savior, Jesus. Anyone can get it if they find him as their savior. The magi, the wise men, they were looking for a baby that was coming to this world that was going to save Israel. And when they found him, they found their savior. Anyone can get the best gift. We overcomplicate it. People like me, I guess, overcomplicate it so often. The salvation story. What is it to be saved? What is it to find hope and faith in salvation? It's to know the thing that saves you. So often in our lives, the thing that saves us can be, if we actually really think about it, it can be our kids, our families, our house, our salaries, our jobs. Often, when we're we're at breaking point, we'll turn to these things and these will be our salvation. The Bible story is really simple. If, if those are the things that saved you, then you're not saved by God. Being saved by God is to recognize that it's Jesus that saves you. That's the first point. Anyone can get the best gift. The second point is Christmas means that magic moments pale into insignificance in light of awe and wonder that God brings. This Christmas... We're going to go all in for the magic. I think we go all in anyway, don't we, for the magic. It's just most of the rest of the year, I think we're quite British people, people who live on this island. If you stay along and if you become a pragmatist and a realist, don't you? The stuff that we absorb at Christmas, we wouldn't stand for at all the rest of the year. We dream about snow. We let ourselves go down this pathway of saying, it might snow, mightn't it? I'm dreaming of a white Christmas and we hope for it. We think that, we think that we're going to have moments where we give gifts that are really going to meet, like not just be a gift, they're going to just really mean something. We think that we're going to have moments around the Christmas table that are going to be like restorative and transcendent. It's like families. We, we imagine, oh, this year the family will all come together and it will be perfect and it will be magical. Why? The rest of the year, we, go, we look at the weather and we go, no, it's not going to snow. And we, our kids say, I'd really like this. And we go, we can't afford this. And we just, we're just realists. And at Christmas, we go all in for the magic. Why? It might just be that we get into the winter season and we really need it. But it might just be that that level of wonder and magic is out there if we can find it. Look at this story. It's an incredible story. It's just one of the most brilliant moments in human history. These wise men have traveled forever on the back of nothing more than a star looking for a baby that's going to come and change the world they wander into Bethlehem 
Who's there? Also wandering very far. Not particularly welcome in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph, just a couple of months or whatever before, or perhaps years before, but probably still terrified by this message they got from the angel about the baby that they're expecting that's going to change the world. Can you imagine the moment that these two things come together? The spine-tingling moment when through broken conversation, the Magi realize that the baby that they're looking for is here and God has spoken. It's a moment of real wonder. There is real wonder to be had in the world this Christmas. The story of Christmas is the kind of story that should make your spine tingle because it's the story of God speaking into the world. It's way beyond magic. Don't go down the working men's club and listen to a magic show when you can get front row tickets to the creator of the universe and his story. There is wonder to be had. Third point, Christmas means we always receive more than we give. We always get more than we give. And now you're thinking, I'm not sure that's right, Ash. Christmas means we always receive more than we give. The Magi get to this, to this manger scene and they give their gifts. They fall down and they give their gifts. And it's worth just taking a second over the gifts. Gold, ultimate sense of value. Even now, with our cryptocurrency and our electric money and all the rest of it, gold is still the standard value, isn't it, for money? This, this, this king is going to be special. And this frankincense and myrrh, it would have been a shiny, bright moment and it would have been an aromatic moment, a beautiful aromatic moment. I tell you, if you, if you in fact, if you're a teenager now and you want to Google it, I'll let you. Frankincense and myrrh. Google, I could not believe this in the week. I don't know how I've missed the medicinal benefits of frankincense and myrrh. Anti-cancerous, all, you name it, all sorts of things. This is just amazing gifts. Much, I'm so glad my mum's here. I'm going to mention my mum anecdotally. I wasn't expecting my mum to be here. She'd be so thrilled. Much of our Christmas giving is about maintaining the equilibrium, I think. So much of how... So much of Christmas becomes about just balancing things up, doesn't it? So one of the things my mum prides at, bless her, I can't believe she's here. This is shocking. She prides herself in getting every, maybe your mum's like this, or maybe your grand's like this. Prides herself in getting everybody the same. It's going to be, we're, gonna, we're not going to get somebody more than we're going to get anybody else. We're going to balance, we're going to look at all the grandkids, and we're going to balance it up. And now I'm a parent, I can say the same thing. You look at it and you go, we can't get them more than them, and we balance things up. How horrible is it when somebody comes round to visit just before Christmas with a gift for whom you've got nothing in return. You, how much hate, is it possible to hate somebody that comes just before Christmas? Because what have they done? They've altered the equilibrium. You're now on the receiving end. You're less of a good person than them. What, you, what are you going to say to them? We haven't got anything for you. No, that's not what you say, is it? You say, kids, if you've got kids or wife, partner, run upstairs and bring down the gift that we've stashed away because we're not having the imbalance of the equilibrium. We're not going to stand for that. Even when we, we buy for our, the people that we love, half of what we do is looking at what other people get and saying we need to balance this up. Sometimes, though, sometimes we're outgifted. Sometimes the gift is just... Oh. Sometimes, sometimes the gift, it just costs so much money or it means so much or it's just so perfect. And we look around to desperately to think, how do we balance this up? And we've got nothing except thankfulness. 
and a moose heart. Do you see the story of these magi when they get there? History would judge them as having the perfect gifts, and they've come a long way with these gifts. These gifts have been on their mind for a long time, and yet when they get there, what do we read about them? They just collapse in worship. They fall down in worship because they realize the gifts that they've got mean nothing compared to the gift that they're getting in return. This is where we are. If we have faith, if Christmas to us is about Jesus and about God and about that kind of salvation, we exist in the knowledge all of the time that we have been given way more than we can give out. We exist here all the time. Do you know that buzz that you get when you get a really nice gift and you've got a bit of a, oh, yes, this is, you know, this is, this is really nice. For about five minutes, you could do anything for anybody. And then it fades away as you forget about the gift or somebody winds you up or something like that. We exist, if, if we are Christians, if this story rings true for us, we're always here. This is what Christmas means. We've been given way more than we can ever give. And this leads us to worship. Worship is this. I, th- I would say it's something that we're all made and created to do, something that we're all looking for. And as, as people that come to church every now and again, sometimes the band will sing us a song or we'll be in a moment where we feel worshipful and it's amazing and we're looking to, we're like, we've got, how can I conjure this again? How can I get back to this point where I just feel so ace and I'm so thankful and things are just joining up, the dots are joining up really well. How can I get back to this place? And I think the story of the wise men is that worship starts when we can acknowledge that the gift that we get is greater and it stops, in fact, it becomes impossible when we think that what we've got is better. Last thing, Christmas means that our ordinary gifts become like treasures. Christmas means that our ordinary gifts become like treasures. When we exchange a gift, and have a look at the Christmas presents that you're going to give and receive this Christmas. When we, when, we, when we exchange a gift, it's more than just a transaction. It's more than just going back and forth. It speaks of the relationship that you've got. Either way, it represents the connection. And it might just be like, the way that we're connected is, this is my nephew, and I know that he's a teenager, and deodorant is probably a good gift for me to get. So you get them, you get them that's a joyous moment. You get, you, get, you get them a gift. But also, other times, you get a gift and it just screams of the connection that you've got with somebody. It might not cost a lot of money. It might not look like anything to anybody else. But because it speaks so strongly of the relationship you've got with this person, it just becomes the best gift ever. When I looked up gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I was really surprised to realize these were just, get this, even though, even though we look back and we go, these were the perfect gifts. These were just ordinary gifts. These are the gifts that every king got. Gold, frankincense. I feel almost a little bit blasphemous saying it. I've had to look in all the commentaries to make sure I'm right. These are the standard gifts. These are what you give royalty. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But because of the relationship, because of because of what they speak about, because of the relationship between God and man that they speak about, these gifts become eternally significant. They're just standard gifts 
But because of the way that they speak about God and how much he loves us in Jesus, the gold speaks of a king who's going to come and be a, the perfect ruler that we need. How much, especially now, do we need a perfect ruler? How much would we long for a good king? Uh, the frankincense and the myrrh, the frankincense would speak to us of a priest that would come and be able to intercede for us properly, like really know who we are. The myrrh would speak of the fact that this person that's coming is going to die a death that's going to be hugely significant. These gifts come to life because of the relationship and the connection between God and the man that would accept God. When we give gifts motivated by who Jesus is to us, motivated by what God represents in our life, even the ordinary gifts that we give become like treasures because of what they represent. So you could say to your neighbor in his hour of need, I've only got five minutes. Maybe you've only got five minutes every day. Just an ordinary thing like having five minutes. Five minutes to listen or five minutes to care. These things, these little gifts, if it's done with the intention of declaring your relationship with God, if it's done born out of a love with a connection with God, these gifts become like treasures. They become not just transactions, not scratch your, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It becomes eternal pointers to who God is. Christmas is more than just a commercial enterprise. It's more than a magic moment. It's more even than human kindness. It's human beings in the wake of God's perfect gift, searching for the perfect response. That's what's happening this Christmas. I really, really, really hope if you find nothing else, that you find the perfect response to that gift.